Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to episode number 146, and it is going to be a series of quick hitters, some short but awesome conversations with a series of coaches here this week. And we are leading off with Georgia Tech head men's basketball coach Josh Passner. Uh, Coach, thanks so much for coming on this afternoon. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, uh, Coach Marty. I really appreciate it so much. Uh, glad to be able to talk some hoops with you. And and um, uh, number one forty six. That's a, that's an honor to be one forty six. So <laughs> I appreciate it's it's it's, it's you ever seen the uh, the show? It was it got so much um, Squid Game from Netflix. I have never seen it. You have never seen it, so some of your listeners might see it. They'll know what I'm talking about. Like, on, they have all these numbers, you know, number 125, number 434. <laughs> it was interesting. It was, a, it was on Netflix. It was a uh-huh. show on Netflix that I got all kinds of it – was, it was a little bit crazy of a uh, show. But, but Isn't is um, it like the Hunger Games on steroids where random people pre- are killed and all this other yeah, stuff? Yeah, it was, it was a little – it was crazy. It was crazy. But it was like the most watched show in the history of Netflix. But – Everyone was defined by a number in the way they had it set up. So when you said number 146, that, that made think about the, the Squid Game show. In fact, I think they are coming out with Squid Game 2 um, coming out on Netflix. But that was the most watched show on Netflix in the history of Netflix, which was, which was amazing. Everybody was, was watching. But anyway, that was my non-basketball talk for the day. <laughs> well, Josh, I, I tell you what, I'm, this is going to be a lot safer than Squid Games for you. How about that? There you go. That's good. I like that. Much, much better. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, uh, Coach, excited to have you on here. Uh, I, I know your time is precious right now. you got a lot of stuff going on here. Uh, right smack dab in the preseason. Before we get into just how's practice going? Practice has been good. You know, guys have been working hard. You know, we've we've uh, have really tried to stay focused on the things that we needed to stay focused on. Control the controllables, in a sense. Um, you know, as we all get into practices, you're trying to do a bunch of things, but you know, it's, it's the discipline, and and I got to keep being really good at it, trying to be good at it, and, and making notes to myself to remind myself not to. Um, you know, go away from the main thing, which is the main thing, and that's man. We just we got to be really good at not turning the ball over. We got to be really good at limiting teams to one shot, and we got to make free throws. If you mm-hmm. do those three things, um, along with working on time and score situations, you're probably going to have a chance to have a good season. You know, keep it simple as could be. Yeah. Um, well, let's let's kind of dive into that then, Coach. Um, you know, you. Uh, you began practice I, last week uh, is when everybody could kind of get going, I believe. And, uh, you know, I'm sure in the weeks and the months before that, you're, you're planning out your, your, your stuff and your practices and your teaching progressions and things like that. What's your process of, I, I think your rule is you get 30 practices in 40 days before the first game or something about that uh, measurement or whatever. Uh, what are what's your process to laying out those preseason practices in preparation to get ready for that first game when you start tipping off in early November? Yeah, you know, um, uh, a couple things. One is, um, yeah, the rule actually is thirty practices uh, in forty-two days. So forty-two okay. days from your first game, you're allowed thirty practices, and um, 
Um, but, uh, um, you know, kind of in our preparation for that, you know, we, regarding my staff, with my staff, we meet every single day um, to go through what we need to focus on in preparation for practice. Now, we don't just do that. Like the first day, technically, the official practice day was September the 26th. Uh-huh. Monday the 26th. So the first official day was that day. Well, you're just not going to meet the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday before. You're really meeting in the summer, in the fall, and leading up to that. So you, you're you prepared and all those things that you're doing in the summer and in the fall can translate and move into, um, uh, you know, the connectivity and the connection to to what you're doing in preseason practices mm-hmm. starting the 26th, that, that buildup. So I think all that goes hand in hand and trying to be organized with all that. Um, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, you get a lot of information, a lot of thoughts that you want to maybe try to, um, um, you know, add and put in, but you got to keep the main thing, the main thing and just stay focused and disciplined on the things that you want to be really good at, or you feel that your team needs to be really good at in order for you to be, um, um, to be successful. And mm-hmm. so, um, <clears throat> you know, I, and that just takes time. And then, you know, I mean, like I, when you're putting a practice plan together, you know, most usual, usually it's, it's about a two hour to two and a half hour window that you're trying to put things together. And there's a lot that you've got to be able to cover and get done. You just don't have enough time through the day sure. because you've got to really stay, Again, focus, discipline is locked in as possible on the areas that you want to really focus on that you feel that your team, your squad, your group of young players need to really be good and that you have conviction on, that you're going to hang your hat on, that these three or four things are going to get us the wins that, mm-hmm. or get us to be the best that we can be. Yeah. Uh, w- when you're putting that together, Coach, do you, uh, like right now, do you kind of have a, a blueprint for all – 30 well now you're at probably let's say 25 ish practices uh do you kind of have a blueprint for all 25 practices laid out until that first game uh a, a rough outline and, and and then as you get closer you're kind of filling that in uh do, do you have a schedule we want to get you know this out of bound you know we want to have x amount of bound X amount of out of bounds plays in by such and such date, or we want to make sure we're at this point in our shell drill teaching progression by practice 10 or, or that type of thing. How, how do you do that? Or is it a little bit more kind of a day to day feel and based on what I've seen yesterday and where I think we should be at, we need to do this and this and this. Look, there's many ways to skin a cat, you uh-huh. know, as, as the old saying is that, you know, uh, you can do it this way or you can do it that way in, in, in how to run a team, a company, an organization. I mean, there's just different ways to do it. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, and that being said, um, you know, part of that is also, you know, kind of, as you mentioned, the word feel, you got to have a feel on that. So what are you comfortable with as the head coach? Are you comfortable taking it just day by day and, and what's going on um, based on the last practice? Or do you have a checklist of, okay, this Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, this is what we're doing. Here's our practice plan. Or, or okay, Monday, Tuesday, we're going to keep the same plan together. Off Wednesday, then Thursday, Friday, we're going to do the same plan, Saturday scrimmage. So I think everyone has to have a feel of what makes them most comfortable and gives them the best chance that to to put their, their young players in the position of success. And um, 
Um, and so I, for my, my own personal self, I mean, I think it's a mix. Mm-hmm. We have a checklist. I have a checklist of certain things that I want to make sure that, that we get in before the first game mm-hmm. um, and that we have something in there of what we need to what we need to have in it. And as you go along the way, you're adding things. Mm-hmm. But it's also based on feel, too, because we watch the practice film from the day before. We watch it as a staff. We watch it individually. And we determine, okay, we're really not doing well in this one area or – you know, we're we, we're really showing great signs of improvement in this other area, or and we're just, you know, we really have a slippage in this in 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 the area of closeouts, or we're having a slippage in an area of of uh, cutting or fast break, whatever it may be that you see, then you're going to probably that next day try to, you know, uh, uh, course correct. Yep. You know, on that on that assignment. However, to if you want to be good at something, you got to do it every single day. Now, again, that's where I mentioned to you earlier about two hours to two and a half hours worth of you know a practice plan time, and you try to get everything in there, and there's a lot to cover, and so um, you're trying to be the best that you can be um, in in the three, four, five things that you really want to hit on and focus on, and to be good at that, and to really hang your hat on that, you got to do that every day. Mm-hmm. On your on your checklist, what are kind of some some of the key things on your checklist, Josh, that that you want to accomplish with this year's team? You kind of mentioned it about you know we got to hit free throws, we want to make sure we take care of the ball, we want to limit teams to one shots. Anything on top of that that are uh, diving maybe even a little bit deeper on your checklist that you feel like uh, you guys are working towards? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I think that's. You know, you do those three things at a high level, you're going to win games. So that's mm-hmm. for certain. If you can do those three things, then about as simple as can be on that. Mm-hmm. We spend a lot of time on time and score situations. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of time. I think that's, you know, I can't tell you how many games are decided. Six, four, five points, you know, a couple possessions here or there uh, to win or lose your games. You know, we've been on some, on some seasons, we've been on the front end of those where we've been able to win those close games. Last year, we lost a lot of close games that you're talking a couple possessions here or there can completely change your season. And so uh, we've spent a lot of time on time and score. We're doing multiple games of that every single day. Um, but, you know, we're, we're, we, we run a little bit of a sophisticated, when I say sophisticated, a complex, complicated, outside the box, unique type of system on both sides of the ball. So it takes a little more work of some of the things that we do um, for, for, to onboarding, um, the new guys uh, within our system, so um, so it's a, it's a balancing act because mm-hmm. we don't just play one defense, we don't just play one offense. Mm-hmm. We have multiples of both, and and because of that, it can it just being able to make sure that things um, you know are onboarded. But 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 I, I do focus on the things that I believe that are as basic as can be, and trying to make sure we're really good in that, whether that's. You know, defensive rebounding. You know, limiting teams to you know one shot the best that we can. We want to be this year. We we're trying to be much better on the offensive glass. Mm-hmm. So that's got to be an everyday thing. We in the years past we've been pretty good at transition defense and maybe not send as many to the glass. Um, um, you know, so we're trying to be a little better in that. Obviously, not turning it over. I mean, just not turning the ball over. I don't care what sport it is. Mm-hmm. You look at any of these sports when teams beat other teams, even when they're not supposed to beat the other teams, regardless of sport, a lot of you just look over the turnover battle. Yep. Did you turn the ball over? It doesn't matter what sport it is. 
obviously free throw shooting. I mean, we try to do a lot of shooting every day, even within our own practice to get a lot of three point shooting in. So I think that's all part of it. And you're trying to just attack every, every which way you can to become the best you can be. Yep. When you're, when you're talking about, you know, your previous season, like you said, uh, you, you lost, lost, excuse me, lost. I can't talk all of a sudden. Uh, you lost a, a bunch of close games, and I'm looking at it right now, Coach. You know, lose to, uh, by four to Wisconsin. Lose not not to pull off the scab any more than have to, but uh, you know, uh, three to Louisville, uh, overtime to Notre Dame, so forth and so on. And, and your kind of big thing that you were saying with with your team is winning those close games, winning those situation scores. Uh, you know, when you're addressing that with next year's team and and we got a lot of listeners that are listening here and probably thinking man if we, we just rebounded better last year or took care of the ball a little bit better last year how much of that is uh you you want to remind your kids how important that is but you don't want it to be uh, a, a psychological barrier of here we go again. We can't rebound. Uh, we're losing rebounds again. Doggone it. We're going to lose it again because of our rebounding. Uh, but keeping it positive while learning those lessons along the way. How do you, how do you teach those lessons without it becoming uh, a burden, so to speak? Yeah, no, that's a, gr- that's a great question on that. And I would say that what I would say is, um, you know, and for what I do, I actually bring up film from last year's games on the on some of the close losses, and not just show the last minute of the game. Like I'll show stuff mm-hmm. with we're up six with ten minutes to go in the first half, yeah. and they shoot a shot, they miss it, and they come in and get an offensive rebound. And I said that possession right there is just as powerful and important as the last shot of the game. Yep that we shot that we didn't make. I said, because that possession right there with 10 minutes to go in the first half, we're up six. They missed the shot. If we rebound that ball and go the other way and score, being up eight compared to being up four makes a world of difference. So while you're watching and not rotational rebounding or turning and getting a hit, or we're up seven, we're on a three on two fast break with, with 14 minutes and 20 seconds to go in the second half. And we, and you throw the ball away and they come down and score us being up nine or 10 compared to being up five and giving them momentum and life and hope Mm -hmm. is a world of difference. So on both scenarios, so I'm not just showing the last minute of the game in some of those situations. A lot of it is earlier in the game. So they understand that every possession is precious. Mm -hmm. E-P-I-P, every possession is precious. I mean, you, you just... You cannot take a possession for granted. Mm-hmm. I'll sometimes show, go back and show film from last year on the start of the game, or maybe we didn't start well, and I'll be like, hey, the ball was tipped at 7.07. Look <laughs> how we played from 7.07 to 7.11. In those four minutes, we're down 8-3 to three because of our energy level. Yep. That's the difference between a game. Mm-hmm. Now at 7.12 and 7.17, we start picking it up, but we've already we're already down five yep. because we did we started trying to play at seven twelve not seven oh seven, and and it's making those points trying to have our guys understand that on an, on an everyday basis. Yeah, um, let's talk about uh, overall uh, teaching philosophy and coach you you and I have been around just long enough. We're not old yet, but we're 
experience. We're going to call it experience. Well, I, How got, about that? I got a lot of gray hair. I mean, <laughs> I, even though I feel very young, I'm, I'm, I got a lot of energy and yeah. Uh, but but I but I do got a lot. Of, I'm, I'm getting a lot of grays on my head. Though, I can tell you that. Gotcha. Well, like I said, that's why we're not old. We're experienced at this point. So. There you go. I like I like your I, I like your perspective. It's all about perspective, <laughs> attitude, thought process. Well, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, you and I are, are, are approximately the same age. I'm a couple years older than you. Like, so we were experienced. Uh, we've been through a lot as coaches. Uh, what advice do you have for somebody that's kind of, you know, we're at the meat of our career and in the in the building of our philosophies, we've we've been around long enough to where we have a pretty good idea of what we want, but we're not so old that we feel like we're kind of stuck in our ways. That we're, we still have that want to and need to of of adjustments, but you don't want to overload yourself. You don't want to add. To, you don't want to have too many tools in the tool chest, so to speak. And you want to uh, you know narrow down that philosophy and filter out that information. I think is probably the best way to say it. So, so in your career, what have you done to kind of filter out your philosophy, filter your informa- uh, the information that you have to build uh, the, the current philosophy that you're at right here, right now in, in year 14 or 15 of being a head coach? Yeah, you know, um, um, a few things on that. I mean, look, I mean, I, I don't think you're ever, regardless of age, experience, no matter what, you're, you're never in a position of not being able to continue to grow and learn. So I think that's so important. So whether you're 45, 50, 35, or 75, um, continuing to be in a lifelong learner, I think is really important and try to keep sharp with what's coming around the corner with the, with, with, you know, with the game as in terms of, you know, what are some things that you, we've as coaches, you have to adjust to and, or you look back on the film from last year of your team and you say, you know what, even if you had a great year and you won the championship, what do we need to do to stay, you know, on top? Or if you had a tough season, how do we get better? Okay. Evaluating the film, we did good in these things. And in, in, in these areas, we, you know, we were really, you know, had a lot of areas of weakness and, and, uh, we struggled, and so we've got to clean that up. And and in order for us to find a way to be to, to to win games this upcoming season, so I think continuing to be a lifelong leaner, uh, learner is uh, really really important. And um, um, uh, you know, I think that's just part of being. Um, you know, that's just part of being. Coaching, you want to yeah. you want to yeah. keep getting better. Now, listen, everybody's got their kind of their ways, maybe with their system or how they're going to run things. But you know, I, I always say there's just a lot of good um, opportunities to continue to grow and, and picking people's brains and and watching film and seeing how other programs or teams are doing things and how can you incorporate that into your system mm-hmm. to be able to be able to be good. Because you look at some of the great coaches. Um, around the, you know, around the country, regardless of sport, that they, they've been able to be flexible, adjust, and change with the times. Um, yes, they have great players and great talent, uh, but but the, but as coaching philosophies, they've been able to continue to adjust to, you know, each decade in a sense as mm-hmm. as, as things have moved forward. Mm-hmm. Outside of the. Uh, the three coaches that you worked for before you became a head coach with uh, Coach Cal, uh, Coach O'Neill, and, of course, uh, Coach Olson. Uh, who are the one or two coaches 
that you poached, took, borrowed, begged, stole from that, that really built your philosophy? You know, I, I, I was fortunate to be around some great coaches and, and playing and, and working for, um, and, um, you know, and I really studied the game and tried to learn and, and pick as many people's brains as I possibly could. Obviously, in the end, you've got to develop your own philosophy and what are you comfortable with in your own skin in a sense of, you know, of, of, of what you want your program to be about or what, you know, systematically what offense or defense you want to run. Um, um, and so, you know, I, I don't think it's just other than, the, you know, people I played for and coached for other than those, I mean, it, it's, it's a long list of individuals and I, I always like to say I'm probably the leading customer for championship basketball, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and, um, uh, video products because I'm always buying the videos or I love going to clinics and love, you know, just calling people and picking their brains and, uh, you know, about, about the game of basketball and their philosophies. And so, yep. you know, it's just, a, it's, it's, it's a constant thing. And, um, um, so I don't know if there's just one person, it's just, it's constantly evolving, um, and being able to, uh, you know, continue to get better each and every, every single day. But in the end, you've got to go with what is in your gut and you feel, you know, if, if you're someone that, that you might study something about pressing and then all of a sudden you press and that's the first three times two of them, they get a basket, a layup, and you're like, forget it. I'm not pressing anymore. Well, you've got to be able to know yourself. What are you able to hang your hat on? And, yeah. and those type of things are, you know, are, are being self-aware and, and, and really self-evaluating once the season's over. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's, let's work our way back in time here a little bit. Like I said, you work for three coaches, uh, Coach, o- or Coach Cal, Coach O'Neill, uh, Coach Olson. Uh, if you had to pick uh, one thing from each one of those guys, and let's, let's go uh, backwards with the most recent with Coach Calipari, uh, what was the one thing that you took from Coach Cal uh, that you feel like you, that really stuck with you that you implement with your Yellow Jackets today? Yeah, you know, listen, I, Coach Calipari is one of the greatest ever to coach. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, when you talk about him and Coach Olson, you know, people always ask me, what's what's the similarities and differences with Coach Lute Olson, who's in the Basketball Hall of Fame, and Coach John Calipari, who's in the Basketball Hall of Fame? And, you know, I'm so fortunate to be with both guys. And, and um, I mean, as as many differences they had, their, their end game was about as similar as can be. And part of that was, uh, number one, you know, they believed in, um, you know, they were very good talent evaluators, both Coach Olson and Coach Calipari. Both got, both coaches were excellent at at teaching defense as in terms of defensive rebounding, um, offensive rebounding, and they really kept their, their um, offensive actions very simple. They did not overcomplicate things. They, they kept it as simple as can be, kind of, mm-hmm. you know, the de- you know, simple is powerful in a sense, and yeah. they kept it very simple. Um, so both guys had a lot of similarities, and 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 in regards to you know, with Coach Calipari, obviously to do what he's done, um, you know, I think he's you know he's almost got like a eighty percent winning percentage. I mean, it's been it's just it's it's just it's you know, words can't even describe it. And so he, the ability for him to be able to recruit like he's recruited. 
and to mesh those guys together and have them play so hard together, you know, is a tremendous skill. Mm-hmm. Um, and both he and Coach Olson were able to have those guys do that. They were able to, they were able to, just to you know, get a lot of great players. They're really good evaluators of talent. More so than always just using the name recruiter, they're really good at evaluating talent. Mm-hmm. And they, their teams played hard. I mean, they played hard. And Coach, Coach Kevin O'Neill was a very good basketball coach. Obviously coached in the NBA, coached multiple college teams. Uh, defensively, you know, his teams were really, really good. And uh, so being able to pick up a lot of the terminology, the defensive system, the defensive principles, um, you know, um, uh, you know, kind of what, you know, he was kind of learned a lot from the Jeff Van Gundy and era and with the, you know, and, mm-hmm. and obviously Jeff Van Gundy is one of the great coaches out there. And so, um, um, so, you know, being able to learn from the defensive side of the ball on a lot of different things on, on coverages and, and, and how to be really good in, in, in man-to-man defense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, coach O'Neill, kind of a underrated guy, you know, um, if you're a coaching nerd, you know who Coach O'Neill is, uh, but he's not going to jump out in the in the mainstream like a Coach Olson, a Coach Calipari, that type of way. But a, a highly respected coach within the game and the knowledge of his game uh, uh, and and what he brought to the game uh, as as he stepped in there for Coach Lute and and replacing that legend in coach Olson were there some things that you learned from what coach O'Neill went through stepping in for coach Olson that you kind of applied when you took over at Memphis for coach Calipari two two totally different situations you know when I was going at Memphis um you know uh, and obviously both programs humongous jobs and and the difference was coach O'Neill had already been a head coach uh, multiple times yep. prior to when he uh, had to take over for Coach Olson on a leave of absence, mm-hmm. but Coach Olson was eventually coming back mm-hmm. um, with 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 um, um, regarding um, Memphis. I you know I took over. I was thirty one because you know everyone went you know Coach Calipari went to Kentucky and everybody on our you know was following him. I was planning to go to Kentucky with them, so I had to kind of step in just trying to survive there initially, and so. You know, it was two different situations, but no matter what the situation is, I, I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot from the situation from when Coach O'Neill, uh, uh, you know, was the interim coach for that year with when Coach Olson was sidelined due to health reasons. Yep. And uh, I, you know, I learned a lot in in that in that year. Uh, but the year when I took over for Coach Calipari, that was an interim. That was full speed ahead, and 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 I was the acting head coach full time and responsible to keep the program moving forward. Um, uh, for the for the long haul, in which I was there for seven years, and then was fortunate enough to get the head job here at Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. Coach, anything? If you had one piece, let's end on this one here, Coach. If you had one piece of advice to share with my listeners here, uh, one thing going into the season, uh, you're starting practice. A lot of us high school coaches will be starting practice here in the next few weeks. Uh, what's the what's the number? If you had one thing to give us, uh, one thing to, to part on here, what would what would that be? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I think, you know, there's a lot of advice that you can get from a lot of different people, but I would tell you that, look, coaching is an outstanding, awesome, incredible profession. Uh, I don't care what level it is. Um, You're really impacting people, making a positive difference, making a positive impact. Um, The, the, you know, just the, the time that you're putting in 
uh, with the young people, it, 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 it can, you know, shape and change their future for the, for the better. So never take that for granted. Uh, I always think some of the simplest advice is about as simple as can be is taking it one day at a time. And that includes in coaching. So as much as you want to get things in and looking down the road of, of games and everything else, just remembering one day at a time is about as solid of advice as I can give mm-hmm. because uh, it keeps you within the moment and making sure that you're focusing on what you need to focus on at the present time. And so um, um, that all being said, um, um, you know, I wish everyone the best that's listening out there and, um, uh, you know, have a great season and, and, you know, find a way for your young, for your team to play hard, to compete, to be com- competitors competitive excellence whatever drills that is necessary to do do that and uh, whatever that's needed to be uh, to put your teams in a a position to be energized every time they step on the floor and they have a competitive fire a competitive excellence a a a real high level um, just compete about them Uh, I like to use the word motor um, I think that's that's what we all, we all coaches are trying to accomplish with our group. Yeah, and I, you can. It's amazing what you can do when kids compete and play really hard, and and that solves a lot of your problems. That that when, you can go even if you lose a game and, and your yep. team does that, you can sleep with with peace in the evening. It's not. It's it, it's very hard to sleep if you lose a game, even if you win a game, and you don't felt your team competed. Yep. With a competitive fire, with a competitive excellence, that makes it that makes it that that's that that feeling in your gut and your stomach where it's not real good feeling. So finding being able to find that is important, mm-hmm. and getting your team to be able to do that night in, night out, every single day, is what we're all trying to find. Yep. You know, a lot of people try to find the fountain of youth. You know, coaches are trying yeah. to find how do I get our team to play so hard every single possession. Yep, yep. Great stuff, Coach. Great stuff. Really appreciate it. I'm glad this was safer than Squid Games uh, for <laughs> you here. Much safer, much safer, uh, Marty. <laughs> Coach Marty, I appreciate you. I appreciate that. Much safer. Um, and, um, uh, and but, I, but I enjoyed it. It was always good to talk hoops as well, too. Absolutely. Josh Pastor, head, head men's basketball coach, coach at Georgia Tech University in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, avoid that Atlanta traffic to the best of your ability, Coach. Uh, and uh, thanks so much for your time today. Okay. I appreciate it so much. Have a great day, everybody. And uh, uh, good luck this season, as I mentioned before. Play hard, compete, make some shots along the way as well. As, a, as, as simple as it is sound, it is a make-or-miss game. You still want to score more points than the opponent. So having people can put the ball in the basket makes coaches look really good. Absolutely. Makes you look a lot smarter than you really are. There you go. Yep. Thanks, Josh. Okay, thank you. Coaches are absolutely loving our taking over a new program booklet. As many of you know, I spent two years outside of coaching, and during that time, I hung a note card in my workspace at school that said, Strip the house down to the studs. I took that time to really rethink and reorganize my thoughts on what it takes to run a transformational program. As I prepared for the possibility of coaching again, I organized these thoughts into this 96-page booklet. How much do I trust this booklet? I used this booklet as I went on interviews to help sell myself and my vision for what my new program would look like. If I'm using it to sell myself, why wouldn't I recommend it to you, my listeners? This booklet will help you look at any part of your program, 
no matter what stage you're at in your program, and help improve it in some way. It's all yours for only $15, which includes shipping and handling. For more information, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Next up on our Quick Hitters podcast this week is Bill Flitter out of the San Francisco Bay Area. He is basking in the glow of another Golden State Warriors NBA championship and watching Steph Curry do Steph Curry things and Clay Thompson doing a Clay Thompson things and Draymond Green trying not to kick out of games type of things. So uh, Bill Flitter out of San Francisco. Uh, Coach, how you doing today? I am doing awesome. How about yourself? Uh, hanging in there. Just wrapped up some detention duty this afternoon. Oh, and, and between recording this podcast with you and doing detention duty, I am much happier to be doing this podcast with you. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, I was going to say, you know what my first detention was? I have it's no It's kind of laughable right now in today's world. I got a detention for chewing gum. Oh, well, at my old job. Uh, when I taught at a private school, that was, you know, mm. that used to be a detention as well. So um, can relate to that. Um, I never got a detention, but uh, this is honest to goodness uh, story. Uh, my uh, We had a kid in our class um, who we knew we could get all fired up and everything uh, very easily. And so when we were in eighth grade, we were, we were snowed in for recess because it was too cold to go outside for recess. And we were getting him riled up. And I really wasn't saying anything, but my buddy Meyer called him a a name that I cannot mention on this PG-13 podcast. And the kid blew up as we wanted, and we laughed. And then Mr. Kerberg, my geography teacher, and and a little different between 2022 and 1987, he said, Marty, come with me. I'm like, oh, come on. So I got to bite the bullet here. Go out in the hall, and I'm not kidding you, Bill. He grabbed me by the ear and pinched my ear all the way down the hallway to the principal's office. And I had to sit with Mr. Anderson, the principal, for a few minutes, and I took the bullet. Uh, So, Meyer, you're welcome, but I still hold that against you 35 years later, buddy. You'd go to jail today. (laughs) I know. I know, but... um, you know, that time I didn't do anything, but that made up for the dozens and dozens, dozens of times that I deserve to get my ear pulled down the hallway. So, well, hey, enough, enough, enough about our childhood disciplinary issues here. Let's jump into some basketball practice planning here. Uh, Coach, you've got a, a, a great uh, product that uh, you use and that you use with not only is it uh, a product that you offer to other people, but you use it yourself practically here, uh, basketballpracticeplans.com. Uh, just kind of, you know, how'd you come up with this concept? Why, why so passionate about basketball planning? Well, I just think it's really the cornerstone of everything that we do as a coach, right? If we don't have a good plan, we're not going to have a really successful season. So I think that goes with anything, right? Um, I don't care if it's your finances or you're building a business or a house. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. they got to have a solid foundation uh, in order to, uh, in this case, win or succeed, whatever, however you're measuring. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, you know, it was just one of those things where I, you know, I started in the youth level just doing D1 
detailed practice plans. And honestly, I did it because so I would make sure I would remember everything. Sure. <laughs> and then uh, uh, people started seeing them. And they, I, you know, I've kind of been known in our in my area from other coaches about how detailed my practice plans were. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had this idea several years ago. Uh, I'm on several um, boards and things uh, of our in our local community uh, rec programs and CYO programs, etc. And you know, coaches were struggling. We spend hours looking for dr- drills. Hear me right here. Yep. Drills, right? Yep. Um, not not tying everything together. They weren't looking at progressions. How am I progressing my team from day one to the end of the season? Um, or, you know, a lot of, a lot of us are just volunteers, uh, you know, especially at the rec level and the youth level, um, we've never done a practice plan. Um, so, you know, so on the way to, on the way to practice, we're Googling something and, and, you know, and bringing it up on our phone with no, no cohesiveness. So, so there's gotta be a better way. Um, even with the software that's out there today, um, you still have to have some knowledge. Yep. How do you know what to do, what to put in when? Uh, I basically laid it all out for for coaches, um, really geared towards K through K through eight. Um, I definitely have some freshmen using the using the plans as well, but I just wanted to make it super simple. You know, my goal is to positively positively influence a million uh, kids in ten years, mm-hmm. and in order to do that. Uh, I have, I need help, right? So that means I need to get other coaches. I need to level up those other coaches uh, and help them as much as I can. So I figured, hey, this is my contribution. Mm-hmm. So what's uh, what's the basis of your system when you when you're putting together practice mm-hmm. plans, uh, both for the short term, today, tomorrow, but also how's this going to fit into next week, next month, uh, for the duration of our season? What are some of the keys? Uh, that you came up with as you put together this practice planning system, Bill? Yeah, you know, it really breaks down into three phases, purpose, planning, and practice. And uh, it, the the purpose phase, really discussing, like, what's, um, you know, uh, what's your way? Meaning, what do you like? Like, you know, what or what do you know? And maybe you don't know anything, and then, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of understanding, like, you're going to be your points of emphasis. And then... And then I actually have this questionnaire that I help uh, uh, coaches through or walk coaches through to say, okay, well, what kind of defense? What's my defense philosophy, my offense philosophy? So I can, uh, we can help create practice plans around that idea. And then, um, and then really it's this idea. As you know, most youth coaches, <laughs> they have 60 minutes. Maybe maybe twice a week. Most have once a week. So they can't fit everything in. So that first kind of phase of the purpose phase of what do I want to do? What do I need to get in? I only have 60 minutes. I can't fit everything in. Um, what should I do? So we help them through that first phase. And then the biggest thing uh, I found is coming up with your foundation drills. And what I mean by foundation drills are those um, the game breaks down to, I always think there's four quarters to a practice. Okay. Your um, offense, defense, transition to offense, and transition to uh, defense. Did I say that right? Offense, defense, transition to offense, transition to defense. Yep. On the court, you're in one of those four stages all the time. So why not map your practice to those stages? And if you can map your practice to the stages, you can help relate 
each stage of your practice mm-hmm. to the kids a lot better. They'll pick up, hey, we're in transition to offense. Okay, this is drill applies to transition to offense, right? Mm-hmm. And they can start connecting the dots a lot better. Mm-hmm. So, and then in your in those four quarters of a practice, um, choose you know a, a few drills that you can build upon. So you don't want to be coaching new drills every practice, yep. right? Or teaching new drills every practice, okay? Mm-hmm. So come up with those foundation drills. It's kind of like Legos, right? They're building blocks mm-hmm. um, that you can build upon. You know, I, I have this chart that I always show, uh, you know, literally with one drill and adding combinations, I mean, adding constraints and progressions, you can have uh, 300 combinations of things. So let me wow. explain on that, what yeah. that means. So. Yeah. Take a simple, you know, for example, what are progressions? One on O, one on one, two on one, one on two, two on two, two on three, et cetera, right? And then, okay, well, if I'm doing that, then maybe I want to focus on uh, a finishing type. Maybe it's a power layup. Maybe it's a stretch layup. Maybe it's a, a, you know, short jump shot. And then maybe I'm limiting, these are constraints, right? Maybe I'm limiting the number of dribbles, Maybe I'm limiting the number of passes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, and the time. Maybe you got, you know, if you're on offense, you've got 20 seconds to score. Mm-hmm. Or on defense, you've got five seconds to get a stop, mm-hmm. right? So by adding these combinations of progressions and constraints, you can have literally one drill throughout your practice and never, uh, throughout your season and never gets boring. Mm-hmm. So that's one. So have those foundation drills. Number two, in a, you know, if you only have a couple practices a week, Practice both offense and defense in the same drill. It's really about um, your point of um, uh, uh, your emphasis um, on that particular drill, and you can change that. Um, you know, so that can be changed from practice to practice. I call it the point of precision or pop. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can change your pop for each of those drills. Um, the same drill, you can look at. Okay, today we're going to emphasize the number of dribbles. Tomorrow, that same drill can say, oh, today we're going to emphasize the number of steals you get. So mm-hmm. then you're working on the defensive side. But both are on the court at the same time. You're utilizing both. And again, that's nothing new. That's small-sided games that have been talked about um, for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, but then each drill is categorized. And t- tell me if I'm talking too fast. I get pretty no, passionate no, about no, this no, stuff. No, but no, I no, no, no. You're perfect, uh, and then, and then you, you have your stages, your teaching stages or phases, whatever you want to call them, right? They break down to teach, train, play. I'm either doing one of those three things as a coach. So teaching. So teaching is, I think that's pretty obviously obvious. Uh, we have a new drill. I'm going to teach you how to do X. Mm-hmm. Okay. We like to talk in sound bites when we're teaching. Think about it as a timeout. Thirty seconds. Move on. So that means you, you you're teaching one thing in that drill. Okay. So then train. Train is where, okay, kids, go in, work at different baskets, one on oh, or two on oh, depending on what you're working on, right? Yep. Uh, you're just training, you're just getting reps in, trying to get your footwork done, and then immediately get into play. Play is um, exactly what it sounds. Now you put defense. Mm-hmm. Again, you don't, you got to get the kids at the end of the season 70% of the way there. The other 30% is let the magic happen. You don't have to be perfect. Well, we didn't teach how to defend this. doesn't matter. They'll figure it out, right? Yeah. Come back to that later. So, again, teach, train, play, right? Mm-hmm. And then, uh, then, like I said, you have your progressions and your constraints. You're mapping those to the four quarters in a practice. 
And then you're doing it in sprints, timed sprints, three minutes, five minutes, eight minutes, nothing over eight for the youth. Uh, you're moving from one thing to another. And here's a big, here's a big tip. I, I'm guilty, guilty, guilty. My, my kids will tell you I'm guilty. I still do it once in a while, uh, but I've really been trying to catch myself. I, I'm putting my uh, foot in the sand. I will not do this uh, this year. And that is this. Uh, so uh, my high school kids, if you're listening to uh, this podcast right now, you can hold me accountable. We got you. Yep. All right. So if, if I can't get through, if I allotted five minutes to a drill and they're just not getting it, stop, come back to it later, regroup. I have spent 30 minutes because I'm just, I'm not teaching it right. Yeah. They're not getting it right. And I'm getting upset because they're not getting it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, as a coach, you just have to come back and say, okay, they're not getting it. I need to, I need to uh, go back to the drawing board and how I'm teaching this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and that way you're going to get through your 60 minute practice um, on time and the kids will benefit from it in the end. Yeah. Well, and I think that's important for all levels of coaches, you know, uh, knowing when is the right time to move on. And, and some, on the flip side of that, Bill, you know, sometimes yeah. you're, you're running a drill and you've got down 10 minutes and you feel like after six minutes, we got this. Hey, okay, boom. Hey, we got this. This was supposed to, yes. and, and you tell the kids, this was supposed to go 10. We got it in six. Great job. We're moving on. We're, we're chipping off four minutes uh, of practice time here. And you move on from that. And that's, uh, equally as important to reward your kids for doing drills well don't you think oh my gosh absolutely i was pretty proud of myself yesterday we had uh, weight training and they uh, i coach varsity uh girls and uh they got through the program and uh i allotted for two hours on tuesday tuesdays are usually a bit longer we busted through it in an hour and a half they got to go see their uh, their classmates go play the volleyball game, and I walked out as a proud coach. I finished thirty minutes before <laughs> schedule, so I thought it was a huge win. And I mentioned that too. I'm like, guys, you guys really busted your tail um, and got through the drills to, or got through the weights today, um, and they were just really focused and mm-hmm. got got uh, got in and got after it. So. Yep. Love it. Um, with the constraints that you were talking about, whether it's dribbling, yeah. whether it's time, whether it's, you know, all these different, you know, like you said, there's 300 different combinations of things that you can do. In your experience, yeah. uh, what have been, what do you think are the one, two, three top constraints that you have, that, that you implement that help teach the game, that you feel like, okay, when we constrain this, this really helps us learn the game and take the game to the next level what's your top one to three things there bill yeah no that's a great question because again this uh, obviously is going to depend on your personnel and where you're strong and weak and um uh no dribble that's a yep. huge one yep. right teaching them how to cut and pass and cut with purpose mm-hmm. so if you can cut and bolt through the lane um with purpose you you in a no dribble situation three and three no dribble you have to cut you can't drive. You can't rely on the drive and putting the ball to the ground, right? That also then eliminated the Marty. I know, uh, I know you know what I'm going to say here, uh, or know what I mean. The one dribble pickup. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> the one dribble to nowhere, right? Yep. Uh, that eliminates that completely. And then, then, then the uh, then the athletes have to work on their pivots, mm-hmm. right? And creating space off the pivot. 
you're working on your cuts. It's beautiful for, for all those fine-tuning pieces of the game. I would say if that's the only <laughs> only constraint, that would be that would be a beautiful one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I would say I'm going to use time as a constraint as well. Um, you know, in high school, of course, you know, out here in the West, we have a shot clock, right? Yeah. So that has been a big one. Um, you know, and everybody else has a, you know, a, if you don't have a shot clock, you still are up against time in a quarter or a half, depending where you're from. Um, so you got to practice those situations with limited amount of time, right? Mm-hmm. So that's another one. Um, you know, we look at, you got to score within X amount of time, right? Mm-hmm. Those types of things. Or, and then I guess a third one would be X, X shots and Y time, yeah. right? So X number of shots in a um in a given and i mean makes right i'm not just talking throwing the ball up in the air right so yeah yeah so i would say those three things so the no dribble um i i would say the um the you know the time constraint and then time and can shoot and shot constraint Mm -hmm. i i my my number one would be the limiting of dribbles as well uh Mm -hmm. one other one especially when you're working like a four on four or five on five situation is uh, constraining the number of reversals, or saying you uh, can't yes. you can't score unless it until it gets reversed twice or three times right. or whatever it may be. Yeah. Uh, you know the the analytics show us that your 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 points per possession go up from like uh, you know point seven five with zero reversals to one point almost point one point two points per possession with two or more reversals. And so that's something that we've used as well from time to time to emphasize how important it is to move that ball from side to side. That doesn't mean we're going to hold the ball forever. Instead of shooting it in ten se- in, in six seconds or seven seconds, we're going to shoot it in 15, 16 seconds. We're still playing fast, but now instead of getting an okay look or an average look, we're getting a great look because we reversed it a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's yeah. I'm gonna. I got it. That's a good one because I got to add that to uh, to the library of things too because I don't emphasize that enough. And yeah. I, yeah, thank you for the yeah. reminding me of that one. So that is absolutely make absolutely. The, make, make the check out to a pen and a napkin. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll take the <laughs> royalties zeros? from it. Tell me when to stop writing. <laughs> <laughs> um, as you put together this kind of master practice plan, Bill, uh, yeah. what uh, what was maybe some of the tougher choices? that you know you you had to you know there's there's so many things i mean for for us basketball nerds as coaches we could practice five hours a day and it wouldn't be enough to feel like we got everything in uh what were some of the tougher things within the the basic skills of the game that uh with your system that you felt like were kind of limited or it was it was a tough cut for you so to speak well, the way I, I'm going to answer that this way, and then I'll come back to maybe some specifics is, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that we did as a staff, too, was, uh, you know, looking at, and this is the way coaches can approach it and determine what they're keeping or not, and then I'll come back to the practice plans. But, uh, you know, when I'm developing a practice plan just for my team, or a season, I should say, really a season, is what are, what do we want to be great at? Mm-hmm list three list three items that those these three things we're going to be great at then another three to five items under the category of what do i want to be good at still going not going to be great we're going to be good yeah um and then two to three items under what can i live with as a weakness Mm -hmm. we'll practice it some 
maybe two to three items there. And then one item under what can I live without practicing at all? Right. Again, limited time. So we can't get to everything. Um, with the practice plans though, you know, when I was developing those for, you know, K through eight, it was, there were so many drills. Yep. There's just so many drills. Yep. And what I really wanted to focus on there was working both sides of the ball at the, in the same drill or as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, there's some, of course, situations where you still want to do your ball handling, maybe in isolation at the younger, uh, younger ages, um, to get more touches with the ball, you know? Um, so really just thinking through, uh, you know, cause what I, you know, now that I'm older and wiser and, you know, I coach, uh, kindergarten through eighth grade and thought, gosh, if I was going to do that all over again, what would I do? What would I want out of a practice? Now being a high school coach, right? Thinking, okay, these kids are coming to me now. Where are they lacking the skills? And, um, you know, a lot of coaches are so focused on teaching them plays versus how to play. I'll teach, I'll teach them plays. You focus on, uh, at the youth level, focus on fundamentals, right? So the practice plans are big on fundamentals. Um, and also, uh, you know, how to play. So a lot of motion stuff, rule-based stuff, do X and then do Y. Um, so that was, you know, I had a, I, I did have to draw, again, I just had a, a line in the sand making some, you know, maybe pushing my personal philosophy a little bit more. Uh-huh. Um, I do have zone in there at the youth, but not a lot, I'll tell you that, right? Yeah. If I oh, had my yeah. magic wand, I'd get the rid Z of The Z word. Uh, across the United States completely. Yeah. Uh, to a certain point, right? Yeah. Of course. Right. Yeah. 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 At a certain age. Yep. Definitely K through, definitely K through five, make an argument for six, maybe start teaching it. Definitely introduce it in seventh and eighth. Like K through five. I, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't want to say anything I'm going to regret later since <laughs> this is live, but man, get rid of zone. Yeah. Yep. At uh, that age. Yeah. Let them play. The- if uh, if folks want to know more about your products, some of the other things that you're doing to help grow the game, uh, what are some uh, what are some places they can go? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for asking that. Yeah, go to basketballpracticeplans.com. Coaches, stop searching Google. They're all they're all there. They're all done for you. Uh, just you know, on your way to your practice, just have to download one and go. All thought through, progressive, etc. And then I'm also hosting uh, clinics every Wednesday, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And head on over to basketballcoachesclinic.com for more information there. Um, and then also coach, uh, Coaching Youth Hoops podcast and Facebook group. So, um, And Marty, we had uh, you on not too long ago, too. That was an honor as well. So I uh, appreciate that. Yeah, well, hey. Bill, it's been great to get to know you here the last few weeks and, and appreciate your time here today. Anything else to add with, uh, with the practice planning? Well, I would just say this, coaches, just relax, right? You're doing the right thing. Just don't second guess yourself, right? You're, you know, we do the best we can. Uh, and, you know, if you're, if you're serving kids, you're, they're having fun. They're wanting to come back. You've done your job. Perfectly said. Uh, and that's a bit, you know, I tell my youth coaches all the time, if we've, if you've got, nine kids on your team this year uh my biggest my number one thing is to make sure nine all nine of those kids come back again next year for our program and if we do that then you've done your job as as a youth coach 
And uh, so you hit the nail on the head there, in my opinion, Bill. All right. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Hey, Bill, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Have a great one, man. All right. You too, bud. Yep. A pen and a napkin university videos are just another way that a pen and a napkin can help you become a better coach. Our university video library is constantly expanding with topics ranging from interviewing for a job to full court defense to 25 universal truths about coaching. Our university videos will help you round out your skill set as a coach and help you hone your craft. Videos are $10 a piece with bundling options available. To order, you can DM me on Twitter, send me an email at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com, or order from our website, a pen and a napkin.com. Be sure to check out the A Pen and a Napkin video library. Last, but certainly, absolutely, 100%, definitely, not least, in this week's Quick Hitter podcast is my old friend from Grandview College, the men's basketball coach at Grandview College in Des Moines, Iowa, the esteemed, the astute, the intellectually gifted Mr. Dennis Schaefer. Coach Schaefer, how are you doing this morning? Marty, I'm doing fantastic, and that uh, introduction is far greater than I've ever got, including coming home to my dogs, my kids, my wife, uh, and that's just fantastic. I'm not sure uh, it's all accurate, but I appreciate the routes that you're going with it. Well, thank you. I, I, I am Catholic, and so I probably will have to go to confession after that introduction because there might have been a white lie or two within that introduction. But we'll just keep that between us. You know, it's it's a good thing that nobody will be listening to this in any way, shape, yeah. or form. So, <laughs> For sure. I think that's part of the, the old coaching shenanigans deal that uh, all of us go through at some point with, with one another after you've known each other. And the only thing that I can date ourselves in this relationship is that we are no longer Grandview College. We are Grandview University. That is true. Yes, I, I'm sorry. I misspoke on that. My my fault. No, I, I I appreciate the opportunity to correct you because I don't get to do that very often. <laughs> well, I tell you what. Let's bring Angel on here, and then we can just correct him the entire time. How about that? Well, you know, occasionally I hear from Coach Angel. Yeah. Uh, I, I send him books that he should read. Uh-huh. I don't know if he's still reading or if he has somebody doing that for him. <laughs> um, I also have uh, one of his... Uh, students that uh, that is a student assistant for me, Jermaine Sagbo, who is probably one of the greatest human beings I've ever been around. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I have to thank Chad for that alone. Yeah, uh, Angel, we're just kidding, buddy. You know, we're, we we know we we kid because we love Chad. So, uh, <laughs> well, I don't know if we love, but all right. Well, anyway, let's jump into it here, Shave. Uh, you know, uh, you uh, you know, we were talking here the last few days and. Uh, you know, you've you've made uh, quite a change philosophically uh, in the way that you do things. You know, you you've been at Grandview, uh, you know, for for a while here, and you were kind of talking about how, um, you know, at one point you were kind of a, a walk it up. Uh, we're going to run this, that, and the other thing, and and now you've kind of, uh, you know, you're playing much more up tempo, looking to attack, looking to push. Um, you know, let's let's just start there. You know, what kind of uh, what kind of drove you to uh, make that change in your philosophy? Um, I, I, you know, as you, you know, after you've been at Grandview for for quite a while. Well, I, you know, I've been here 25 years, so this is the start of my 25th year. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, just a little background: I was born and raised in Wisconsin during 
the Dick Bennett area era, and then uh, Tony Bennett was one of his players, and then Bo Ryan was at the University of Wisconsin Platteville mm-hmm. uh, during my high school career, and and uh, you know I've always been that person who is kind of really kind of delved, delved into. I, I want to be able to control the game, uh-huh. and then what happened? I think Marty is as the game has evolved. Uh, it's not as much fun for me, and I and I know that there are still guys that control the game, and that's fantastic. And uh, I'm not disagreeing with anybody's philosophy because I think you know it's just a matter of what you can do well. Uh-huh. And I wanted to have more fun, and uh, I thought if we went up tempo, uh, that might be the case. Mm-hmm. The other thing that that kind of drove me to it is we felt that from a recruiting standpoint that we could find some kids that maybe wanted to play a little bit faster and it might be a little bit easier to gather them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we also, the third thing is we we would prefer to have a little bit more fun and scoring seems to be the thing that brings people to the games. Mm-hmm. And so I think those three things in 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 general started our, our turn or twist towards trying to play a little more up-tempo. And we're still not there. Like, we are not at a Grinnell College style. Correct. You know, we... Mm-hmm. We are still trying to get a good shot in the half court, but we are trying to play faster initially coming out of the gate when we get a defensive rebound or a turnover. Yeah. Uh, was there, you know, as you made this change and, and, and or as you evolved into this change, Shafe, uh, was there uh, some folks that you looked to, uh, to, to pick their brains, uh, to take a look at their style, uh, you know, and communicated with or watched their films or or did whatever, who did you kind of pick and choose from in, in whatever method uh, necessary to to build what, you know, the, the, the melding between your old style and what you're trying to accomplish with the new style? Well, I think there's a, there's a number of them, Marty. The first one, um, this will go back to Paul Westhead. Just I yeah. had a bunch of his old notes and brought them out from the archives. Mm-hmm. I looked at, um, we're very fortunate to play in the Heart of America League where there are just some outstanding coaches and, and, and really good players, and it's just an unbelievably top-notch brand of basketball. But Rocky Lamar at Mid-America Nazarene uh, was, a, was a person who was in the forefront of playing fast, in my mind, and uh, he'd always had good players. And then uh, he had a great assistant uh, who's now the head coach there at Mid-Am, uh, Adam Hepker, and uh I had an assistant opening, and I intentionally uh, talked to Adam. And when Adam came in, I'm like, Adam, I, I need to learn how to play fast, and uh, you're the guy to show me how to do it. And so Adam spent uh, three years with us teaching us how to play fast basketball. And, you know, we're not quite where we need to be, with, but we are still a work in progress, as I think all of us are. But mm-hmm. those are the two things. And then the, the third person that, you know, just off the side is just watching Grinnell mm-hmm. and watching Dave Arsenal and talking to uh, Dave and then his son Dave mm-hmm. just about some of the things that they did and I'd attend to practice once in a while and mm-hmm. uh, you know it just kind of let me kind of put my arms around a bunch of different ideas and then uh, Hep just tried to make us go a little bit faster and get down the path in the right way. Mm-hmm. So as you made this adjustment and and you know you're in a different situation obviously Shafe than most of our listeners I mean we I know we have college coaches that listen but most of us uh, cannot, or at least legally cannot, recruit kids to our system. You can go out and try to recruit kids to the system that you want to run. Uh, but you know, as you put this together, what were some of the big changes that you implemented to your practice philosophy to develop your team in your practices to get them to be able to do what you wanted to do in, in competitions and games. Uh, you know, how, what are some things that you maybe had to give 
on that that okay we can no longer spend as much time doing this because we need to emphasize that type of a thing well the first thing that i had to give up was not being so upset with turnovers uh-huh. I mean, which is a challenge all right mm-hmm. uh the where we changed a lot of things is we didn't do as many breakdown drills from the offensive uh, side of the basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by that, I mean, we just did a lot of one-on-o, two-on-o, three-on-o transition just to get our kids accustomed to playing fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once we got all of those two-on-o, three-on-o drills involved, then it became five-on-o or five-on-five, and we just played a lot. Mm-hmm. The other thing that we did uh, to get us to play faster is we put shot clocks on almost everything that we did in transition. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam Adam was a was a great uh, motivator for me in this, in the sense that on Saturdays uh, when we could have open gyms, we would play with a ten or twelve second shot clock. Mm-hmm. And in order to to do that, you know, you had to have some kids that were willing to get up and down the floor. Uh-huh. And I think that is a big part of it. Um, the other things that I think we did is we did a lot more shooting. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot more shooting. I think as an old school coach, you know, before making this change in around 2013 and 14, um, what I was doing was we were becoming a really good drill team. Mm-hmm. And we didn't always transition that to playing five on five. And what I think has happened since then is we're becoming a better five on five team and not uh, emphasizing some drill work as much. Mm-hmm. Um, what. What were some of the, as you made this adjustment, what were some of the, the, the struggles as you tried to carry it over? What were some of the things that you struggled with early once you got into games? Um, do, do you feel like uh, you were in a situation where, okay, we might have to lose a game or two in order for us to uh, move move this whole system forward? Was, there, was, there, was that part of the process as well, Shafe? Yeah, I think that's part of the process regardless of what you're doing or if you're building a program. I mean, I... I I firmly believe that that you have to have a couple of steps back to to make a few steps forward, whether that's through a scrimmage or you know losing a close game or you know you have some really good teaching moments when you're in some tough adver- adverse positions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know things that I think that we were concerned about were will we continue to take good shots because that was a big part of my philosophy, and mm-hmm. I think overall we we have done that. Initially, you lose a little bit of that, but then it's just a matter of correcting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, second thing is, will you get the kids to run as hard as they have to in order to space the floor? Uh, you know, during your during your transition offense, and sometimes you know we got the guys that like to stop at the wings, and then that kills your driving lanes. And as time went on, we were we were able to get guys to space to the corners, and then get a rim runner, and then have a man who was a who was a trailer, we could just do some different actions out of that as well. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the third thing is that, uh, I think it's the third thing, Marty, so you just have to correct me. I think, it, I think it was third. According to my Briarcliff you know, University math, I think we're at number three. Yeah, yes, well, okay. okay. <laughs> so, uh, the, you know, the, the part there is that I used to run a lot of sets, and we don't run quite as many sets now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once we get into our half-court offense, we are – we were trying to get into one of one of maybe six or eight sets. And mm-hmm. I mean, I remember back in 2002 and 2008 or 10, uh, we had some really good teams went into the national tournament and we were running 25 or 30 sets. Not necessarily that many every game, mm-hmm. but we had them in our repertoire. I almost felt like I was a football offensive coordinator. Yeah. Yeah. Start calling your Bill Walsh on the sideline there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for <laughs> that, sure. That's that's a dated reference. Hopefully, folks get that there. So, um, 
was there ever a point, Chafe, as you made this transition, was there ever a point where you were like, uh, I'm not sure about this? And, and how, if you did, how did you fight it? Truthfully, no. Okay. I mean, when, when we decided to do it, we got right into the deep end of the pool and said, let's, let's commit to this. And, you know, Adam left us in 2017, and uh, we've continued to try and do it. Uh, sometimes it's personnel based, you know, that lets you play faster or slower, whatever the case is. But we've tried to have the same type of philosophy, even, you know, in today's practice. Uh, and we got done about 20 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. We are up and down the floor a ton mm-hmm. and we want them up and down the floor as fast as they possibly can. And mm-hmm. so I, I don't think I had any reservations because, uh, I just knew it was a change that would help our team. It was a change that would help some of our fans. It was a change that would help our recruiting. And, and it was a change. I think that just brought uh, some freshness to the game. And I think that's really important as you mm-hmm. have been doing something for so long, you have to have something that you look forward to every day. Mm-hmm. And I had some really, really a great mentor in our baseball coach, uh, Coach Yasinich here, who, who helped instill some of those things in me. Yeah. That it just brought some energy to us, and, and it's just more fun to coach for me right now. Yeah. Um, last question, Shafe. Um, for, uh, we're not going to call ourselves old. We're going to call ourselves experienced. Um, for and I kind of went through this as well in a different way, Shafe. Uh, you're talking about going from up tempo or from from kind of uh, you know a, a more slower tempo to up tempo. For me, it was going from structured offense to more motion based stuff and 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 teaching motion principles rather than a pattern for our kids. Uh, for any coach that's looking to make a pretty drastic change with their philosophy for obviously the good of maybe that current team or the program altogether. And again, it could be something that you're doing, something that I did. Maybe you're a zone guy and you're going man or vice versa, or maybe you're not a pressing guy and you decide to press. Whatever that massive change may be, that 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 really big philosophical change. What are perhaps your pieces of, of wisdom, your pieces of advice that you would give somebody after going through this yourself and now having some perspective with it? Because it's been seven or eight years since you've done this. What are, uh, you know, what pieces of advice do you have for folks that are maybe thinking about doing something like this? Well, one, I, I, you can't be afraid to change. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you feel that it's going to help your program and help your kids, you can't be afraid to change. Uh I think I'm good at not having an ego about the game, Marty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that might be my only egotistical comment that <laughs> when I brought Adam in to help, he will tell you that I gave him the reins to this because I didn't know what I was doing uh-huh. and didn't feel comfortable teaching it. And so I think you have to get, you have to have a source that you are confident that can help you get to the next level of where you're going. Mm-hmm. And third, I think you have to have buy-in by the kids. And I, we, we talked to some of our returning players at the time we did this and they're like, coach, this would be awesome. Let's, let's do this. Let's make it work. And then lastly, I think you have to just stay with it because you're going to go through some highs and lows, some ups and downs with it. Uh, you're going to have bad days where you turn it over. You're going to have dime times in our sense where we take some bad shots and you got to figure a way how to get them to understand that, uh, you know, the higher percentage shot is, is what we need in this situation. Um, but I think it's just a matter of commitment. Mm-hmm. And as as we as experienced coaches have grown, you know, we we tend to get a little bit smarter, and yeah. we release some of the things that held us back when we were trying to change the world when we were younger, right? Yeah. Um, and 
I just think the, the key to it all is let your ego go. Find people who are really good at what you want to do and trust them to lead you down the path that you want to go. Mm-hmm. Now, you can always add some, some of your own dimensions to it, and we have here. You know, mm-hmm. We still want to defend really well. We still like a couple of the old-time sets that I like you know, from, from back in the day, so to speak, mm-hmm. and they still are effective. But it's just a matter of letting everybody uh, have their own... Uh, their own uh i guess money in the pot so to speak yeah yeah great no, stuff Shafe. if i could add if i could add one more marty I oh think absolutely yeah also got, sorry and i didn't mean to cut you off there, no you're good like today i sat back and just let our players make some choices and decisions whether it was good or bad i let them play through these mistakes and 20 years ago i wouldn't have done that mm-hmm. you know uh and so the, the other change that i think happens with all of this is like you know, it used to be you teach uh, part, whole, part, or whole, part, whole, or however you wanted to structure it. And we teach more out of the whole, and we teach more now out of out of video. Mm-hmm. And uh, we give the, the kids as much freedom as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I think that's a great way to look at it. And, and we, you know, it is part of the player's job to uh, adjust to what we're teaching and what we want them to do. But it's also part of our responsibility, don't you think, Shafe, to adjust our philosophies to what the players need. And like you talked about, you know, it was it was a uh, the old station drills and breaking it stuff down in that regard. And now it's a little bit more of, you know, here's five on five and let's let it rip and let's teach within those situations and and then let's watch some film and let's see some stuff because that's the way the kids' brains work these days. It's it's different than it was twenty five years ago in that regard, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and you have to find a way to make practices, you know, fun for the kids. And that's really hard to do because we're still in a business where you got to win some games and you still have levels of accountability that you have to have on every possession. And I'm still a little bit of a rule stickler in those kind of things. But, you know, you have to let the kids be invested in what they're doing. If, if they're not invested in what's going on, then no matter what you're doing, whether it's the flex or, you know, the Grinnell system or what we're trying to do, which is a hybrid, um, it's just not going to it's not gonna work out for anybody. And it won't be any fun. And then life is miserable for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, anything, else, anything else to add, Chief? No, I mean, you know, if people would ever like to come in and watch what we do, uh, we would love to have them in. Uh, in fact, a couple of uh, a couple of nights coming up here, we're going to go to local high schools and practice so that people can see what level of college basketball is at the NEI and particularly our league and our guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's it's pretty impressive if you get to see it, you know, firsthand. And a lot of people don't understand and recruits don't understand that until they get into the mix. But uh, we are certainly an open book. We don't have anything to hide and and man you can come in and maybe give me some ideas that would be fantastic i'm open to anything but Uh, we'd love to be involved with anybody who wants to be perfect awesome stuff shafe so dennis schaefer the head men's basketball coach at grandview university we got to know each other it'd be about 25 years ago back at uh, coach finley's camps at iowa state and we've we've stayed in contact ever since then so uh shafe thanks for everything you've done for me appreciate it appreciate your friendship my friend all right, Marty, it's great to talk to you, and I wish you the very best. We'll be in touch. You too. All right. Uh, great podcast this week. We've had three different coaches uh, wrapping up here with Coach Schaefer, uh, and uh, hope folks have enjoyed this podcast. Three definitely very different perspectives uh, on different things here. So, coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day 
ahead of time.